So if you didn't know, we are in the Daniel Project. Uh, we've uh, maybe taken a little of a break, I guess, and that we had a Super Bowl party and uh, we had our big little, you know, big conference living room talks yesterday. And so that's probably why the sign-up sheet isn't here, even though it's been sitting by my front door for the last four days with a bag or a box full of clean laundry that's supposed to be here too, that just hasn't made it to the building. But we are in the Daniel Project, and that means that we're in the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. And it is a story about Daniel and a couple of his friends and their journey from Israel because it was taken by the Babylonians and into exile in Babylon. And it's really their story of how they interact with different kings in Babylon and how they handle their exile. And so we're in chapter 4. And chapter 4 is actually unusual and that it's not written by Daniel. It's written by Nebuchadnezzar. This is a very odd thing because really nowhere in the Old Testament do you have this much dialogue from a guy who's not Jewish talking about God and his relationship with God. And so I want to just begin uh, in Daniel chapter 4. I want to read to you what Daniel or what Nebuchadnezzar has to say, because he's the king at the time, and that's the king we've been working with in Babylon in the last three chapters. And so we've got to kind of know him, and a little bit of what we figured out about Nebuchadnezzar is he's relatively impulsive. So if he doesn't like something, he will chop you up. If he doesn't like what you're doing, he'll throw you in a you know fiery cauldron. If you can't give him the answer, then he's going to destroy your home and leave it as rubble. And he's just impulsive about you not coming through for him. That's kind of his thing. And so I think he's rather exuberant about anything he does. So here's his introduction to chapter uh, 4. It's to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. If you read underneath the words here and you just kind of listen to him, he seems pretty excited about what he's going to tell the whole world. He wants everybody to know that he knows this God and this God who is the best God ever, right? He's very, very excited. Um, but it's not like the excitement, I think, where you're a little boy or girl and you're waiting for Christmas and you know there are presents. It's not that kind of excitement. Um, but it is a deep kind of intimate excitement that he has. It's coming from somewhere a little bit deeper than just presents, right? Um, and, and so it's kind of like this excitement. When I was in the ninth grade, I had this friend named Ian and he lived next door to me. And we had this thing we did together. We painted little 172nd um, army men, scaled army men. And we would paint hundreds of them together. Like this, we were total nerds. So we would sit there and, and we had German soldiers, American soldiers, British soldiers, tanks, jeeps. And in my living room, we had um, a six foot by four foot 3D diorama in which we would get the tanks on there and we would measure and then we would, you know, shoot each other. And, and we were playing a squad level combat game that was at a 172nd scale. 
And I thought this, and he, and Ian and I played soccer together. Uh, Ian was this kind of guy who would just knock on my door and say, hey, you want to run to Park Mall? He was always running, so I was always running. We ran everywhere. Like, he was my best friend. And so he moved to Germany, and I had spent all this time painting these little guys that I wanted him to see. Because I just really, really wanted him to see him. So we would write letters back and forth. I wrote him this long letter about the process of this and how cool it was and what I'd learned. And then I put the army man in the envelope and sent it to Europe. <laughs> and I didn't know that in Europe, they, I mean, they're just going to crush the envelope. And then, so he writes me back a letter saying, why on earth would you put a plastic army man painted in a letter, you know, and it was kind of, he was kind of mean to me about it, but what he got was a little crushed plastic army man with paint in the bottom of his envelope. But I was just so, so excited to tell him. And then when he said, oh, it's not that important, well, I was crushed. But it seems to me, at least with Nebuchadnezzar, he's about, and if you don't know anything about this story, he's about to go through something you never want to go through. And yet he's telling us about it, and he's super excited He's super excited. Something happened to him in this story. And here's the thing. All of us have a story when it comes to our relationship with God. We all have a story. Right? And some of them, we have big macro stories, like deliverance stories. We have, but we have continuous stories that go, you know, and they follow kind of Nebuchadnezzar's process when it comes to relationship with God. So you heard Mark read the text, and this is so much text to read, I'm not going to read the part that he read. But what happens is Nebuchadnezzar is happy. He's in his crib, he's hanging out, he's got everything that he wants. He's the most powerful man in the world. He's happy, he's content, he's prosperous. The way I imagine it is that, you know, before he goes to bed, he's sitting in his hot tub, everything's good. And then he goes to bed, and it says that he was afraid and terrified by the dreams he had. Which is good to know that the most powerful man is just like a 10-year-old. Happy all day, and crawls in bed, and is complaining about nightmares an hour in, right? Like all of us find in bed terror and fear, right? Because that's when our brain begins to stop. That's when things begin to change when we lay down and go to sleep. We begin to have to feel the weight of things. But here's the thing. The way that God works in our life is always through disruption, right? All of our stories have this moment. In fact, if you are walking with God, if you are in a relationship with God, which all of you are here, so you're all at some level in a relationship with God because you're willing to take some time to come and sit here and listen and sing and engage God's people. So you're in a relationship with God. And all stories have disruption in them. All stories with God have disruption because God is about disrupting. And they have two parts, usually. One is terror and one is fear. Right? That is how God operates with us. He, when you and I find ourselves contented, he introduces disruption, which is usually terror and fear. Right? And, and at different levels, right? And here's the thing. Some of the times that fear is like, oh, I just, I, it's a social anxiety. I don't want to talk to anybody. Sometimes it's fear about who you are. Sometimes it's terror 
because you don't know how you're going to pay the bills next week. Or you don't know what, you know, your, your new sister-in-law thinks of you and you, you're just kind of all, two, a policeman pulls you over and you don't know what's going on, right? We have these. These are all actually God's way of disrupting us. So I want you to think about that. Now, for Nebuchadnezzar, he's afraid and terrified. And it's really fascinating because we have this history with Nebuchadnezzar. We know that in uh, the second chapter, he had a dream and an engagement with Daniel where Daniel was able to not only tell him the dream, but tell him what the dream was about. So he knows there's a guy who can talk to him. Then he's had another experience with with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who walked into probably an 800-degree fire, right, and then came out without even their clothes smelling like smoke. And there was another guy in there. So he knows there are people who know a God who can help him with this trauma. And yet, when you and I face fear and terror, what we do is we start scrambling and we forget everything. Right? You have those parts in your story. You know those moments. And you make a series of stupid decisions. Nebuchadnezzar's stupid decision was he decides that he's going to go back to the same people that he always goes to his magicians, his astrologers, and all the people. He's like, maybe you guys can figure it out first. He's just like, anybody who's next door, please come tell me what this dream is about, right? And sometimes you invite stupidity when you do that, right? And we do that when we're in the midst of being afraid, you know? And so think about that. Disruption happens in your life. So we're going to pick up uh, the story in verse 9, I said to Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the end of the earth. It le- its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. And on it was the food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter. The birds of the air lived in the branches. For it, from it every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed, that of a man let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me, what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because you have the spirit spirit of the holy gods. The holy gods is in you. So, he has this dream. And I think 
all of us read the dream and we're like, well, it's pretty obvious, right? We, we can interpret, you don't, I don't know why anybody can't interpret this dream, but everybody was having trouble interpreting the dream. So what, now, all of us in our stories, this is the thing, is that when we're, we experience fear and, and terror and where's a disruption in our life, God always puts a person of truth in our story. We don't always recognize them as the person of truth, but God always puts that person of truth in our life, right? And if you think about things, it's not just that in our stories, in the midst of disruption, God puts people of truth. You and I often are the people of truth in other people's lives, right? And we can learn a few things from Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar as we think about our story. So I want just to read just a little bit of what Daniel's response is, because it's key here. It says, Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. Daniel does something really interesting. In the midst of Nebuchadnezzar talking and talking and saying, My life's a mess, and here's the dream, and everything's crazy. He just sits there and is terrified, like because he knows what's true. He knows what needs to be said. Here's one of the things that you and I, when we are the people of truth, are tempted to do. Tell people what they need to know. Tell them how life should be. Fix it for them. But Daniel is just feeling the weight of the consequence of Nebuchadnezzar, like what he's going to experience. What's interesting here is finally Nebuchadnezzar says... So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Like he's like, I don't, I don't want to tell you this. I, I think sometimes when we're in people's stories and we see them and they're afraid and they're terrified and we're on the outside of things, so we're not experiencing the internal trauma, we are very quick to say like, hey, let's fix this for you. We don't tend to feel the weight of other people's fear. And part of that is, I'm going to argue to you, is that you are not in touch with your own disruption and how terrifying it is. Right, Your own experiences where God is turning things upside down in your life. In little parts and in big parts. So, Daniel says, like, look, okay, I'm going to turn it for you. The tree is you. And we're like, oh yeah, we know that. Then it goes down, and he says, and you're going to get cut down. Yes, that's what the dream says. And said in verse 24, it says, this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with, wild, with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by in you until you acknowledge the Most High as sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with the roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven, acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. 
So see, what's interesting about how God interacts with us is that God interacts with us like we are 10-year-olds or 5-year-olds even better, or maybe 3-year-olds. Let's break it down. Or even 2-year-olds. Like when you, when you bring a 2-year-old, and you can do this with any kid, 18 or under. But um, when you bring a two-year-old into your home or you're beginning to train them not to break everything, you're going to instruct them that if they proceed in a certain way, there's going to be a certain consequence, right? And then they're going to proceed in that way. And you're going to tell them there is a way to not have the consequence. Don't do that, right? Well, God does the same thing. And Daniel is doing that for Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, look, your arrogance and your pride, and the fact that you have rested in your prosperity, like, there's a consequence to it, because you have not recognized God. But if you, what? Renounce your wickedness and your sin, and treat people differently. Because what Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar is, you have no idea the impact you have on other people. Which is usually what God is trying to disrupt in us. The message that God is continually trying to get to us is you have no idea the impact you have on other people. Because you are so content in being in yourself and what's going on with you. You have no idea. So Daniel's saying, let me just give you some advice. Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask for the advice. But Daniel's like, now that you said I can tell you the consequence, let me tell you how to get out of it. Let me tell you what you can do. All of us have a discipline in our life. Like all of our stories, like this is how God disrupts us, explains things to us, and then puts a discipline in our life, right? I mean, I like like telling this story, um, but, you know, when when our kids were little, and in particular Anna, who just happened to come visit today, there she is, she's big and does not do this anymore. Um, But what we would do when she was, you know, one and a half, two, walking around, is we would take her to everything in our house that we didn't want her pulling off, and we would put her hand on it and say no, and then we would pop her hand lightly. We would sign no, like this. So, we'd do that over and over again. So then Anna would literally head for the things that she should not go to, going like this. No, no, no. (laughs) Internally, her brain, like she had no control, right? But she was... But there she went. She went to where she needed to go. Now, I want to go back to that person of truth. Because you and I have an opportunity to be the person of truth in many people's lives. And what I think Daniel, the book of Daniel, has been trying to encourage in us and in me in particular is that we need to be people who use our mouths to speak for God And we need to look for the doors that God is opening for us in one another's lives and in our community's life to speak for God. Let me give you an example of something very simple in my life that stuck with me when we come to story and discipline in my life. When I was in college, like my junior year, I lived in Phoenix. I lived in my um, wife at the time. She was not my wife or my girlfriend. Um, I lived in her grandparents' back room. Right? We had broken up, but I was still in the grandparents' back room going to ASU. They didn't kick me out, so that was good. Um, but I had run out of money, and so I was sitting with the college pastor, sponsor, whatever he was, and I was whining. And I was saying, I was talking about all my problems, about how I had no money, and I didn't like 
Grand Canyon and it was too expensive and I was yada yada like any 19, 21 year old does. They like to whine. I'm sorry guys. This is part of it. Uh, you get out of it, over it. I did. Anyway, and this is the moment. So th- this, this wonderful guy just sat and listened to me like Daniel. And I suspect he was terrified to tell me what he was about to say. But eventually he got enough courage. He looked me in the eye and he said, Eric, stop whining and go get a job. That was the most powerful words of my life. And, and I remember them still because they are where I want to be, whining. Like I want to talk about how bad things are in my life and I want people to sympathize with how bad things are and how horrible it is and how busy I am. And what God does is he continually reminds me, he shows me that you know 21-year-old, 20-year-old sitting there and those words are like, no, Eric, stop whining, go get a job, right? There are moments for us to open the door and speak truth. But a lot of times we're like Nebuchadnezzar and we're in this place of discipline. Or at least we've been warned. So Nebuchadnezzar's been warned. We move forward six or 12 months. All this happened to the king, king Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. (laughs) The words were still on his lips when a voice from heaven says basically this. This is the decree, is what is decreed for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately, he goes crazy. Now, here's the thing. Let's just talk for a minute. We read things like this in the Bible, and we think, where's that in history? Did that really happen? Well, first off, let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what we do know about him that that statement he made is a common statement for Nebuchadnezzar to make because he stamped every single one of the bricks that every building he ever built with his name. And then he had bricks in those buildings saying, I, Nebuchadnezzar, built the foundation and I built it like this. And we have so many of them. They're everywhere. This is why we know Nebuchadnezzar is the great builder because he told everybody because he figured out that the pharaohs and the Assyrian kings, like their whole worlds were wiped out and nobody knows about them. So Nebuchadnezzar was like, people are going to know about me. But with all of that, we only know the first 11 years of his reign outside of Daniel. Daniel is the one who tells us what happened. We don't have any more evidence but I was listening to a pastor the, uh, preach on Daniel 4, and he said something really interesting. He said, oh yeah, in the historical record, we have this weird thing where we know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and then there's the seven years of silence, and then Nebuchadnezzar shows up. I'm like, I've never heard that. So I started doing some research. That's not true. Um, <laughs> I don't know where he got his information, but here is what we do know. There is a um, piece, one of these pieces of stone in a museum in England where we can read about half of it. And what it seems to be talking about is about how Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for seven years. And it's really fascinating. So we know that this is possible that this happened, right? At least from outside evidence. But scripturally, 
This is what God is saying happened. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying happened, is that he went crazy. That he went crazy. And then, after those seven seasons, which are seven years, it says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal, is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? What happens in our stories, we have a disruption. There is a discipline with a person of truth speaking to us. But all of that is to lead us to repentance. And the repentance is is that it is about God and what God is doing and not about me and what I'm doing. Because when you and I begin to focus on what God is doing, it changes the impact we have on other people. When you and I decide to be about what God is doing, people experience us differently. So Nebuchadnezzar has a repentance. But not only when, in our, and we all have this in our stories, but not only this experience of repentance or the speaking out about what is true and turning away from what was really our thing. Just to throw back for Jeff there. Um, in his talk yesterday, uh, there is a restoration process that happens. So our stories do this thing, distort, a, a disruption, discipline, a repentance, and then a restoration. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor was returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even more great than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all this and all his ways are just. I'm not going to read the last part just yet. In a story like this, Daniel's discipline is painful. For me to sit, and you may think it's amusing, but for me to sit across from somebody at at age 20 and have them tell me stop whining and basically grow up and get a job is painful, right? Being disciplined is painful. So why is Nebuchadnezzar so excited about telling how he got disciplined, how he was basically made a fool of? Why is he so excited? Well, I think Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament the writer of Hebrews kind of lets us in on the nature of discipline when it comes to God. Chapter 12, verse 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a son or a daughter, you can put in there. For the son or daughter, for what son or daughter is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. What Neb- the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar learns 
is that he's loved. The first thing he learns is that he's loved. When you and I think about our stories with God, the disruption and the discipline, like what God is saying to us, and I think what Nebuchadnezzar is inviting us into, is to actually welcome the discipline of God because it shows that he loves you. That, there's, that you are loved. But not only that. Discipline not only shows us that we're loved, discipline gives us a revelation. And the reason I think that Nebuchadnezzar can be so excited is because of this last little phrase in chapter 4. It says, And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I think what Nebuchadnezzar is saying is, you know what I learned? I was arrogant and prideful and I was the most powerful and nobody could impact me. And nobody could do anything to change me. And God was able to do it. God cared enough and was powerful enough to humble me. So when Nebuchadnezzar is restored, what Nebuchadnezzar has in his story is two little gems that he can carry around. Number one is that he's loved by God and number two that God is powerful enough to take care of him. That he's powerful enough to take care of him. And that's why he's super excited. Because what is the thing that shows up at the beginning? The disruption. He's afraid and terrified. At the end, he's giddy and all he can do is talk about God. The fear is gone because he says, you know what? I have a God now who can take care of me. And I have a God who loves me. And I am no longer at the whim of the other gods. And I'm no longer at my own whim. That's a powerful thing. So my invitation, as you think through Nebuchadnezzar's story, is to ask yourself, am I that excited to talk about how God has disciplined me? And do you go around saying, here's how it was, and then... God really stepped in and made me miserable and delivered me, and this is what I've learned. That's a powerful thing. And here's the thing. You have those in little stories in your life, and you have them in macro stories, really big stories. So I would encourage you to think, well, what is preventing me from that? That, that willingness to really be excited. Because I think part of it might be, I'll give you a hint, is that you're not connected to that. You're not actually contemplating it that much. The other thing I want to offer you is that you are all in other people's stories. Like, what's crazy to me about the book of Daniel up to this point is that God has utterly disciplined his people, stuck them in another country so that they could open up the eyes of the Babylonians to who God was. So you are, wherever you are placed, in a place to open the eyes of the people to who God is. that's the invitation. But I would caution you, don't jump in to tell people how to do things. Be somebody who's willing to listen and feel the weight of things. So, with that, does anybody have any questions, thoughts, comments, things they want to add to what I had to say? Um, Any questions about the text? Jeff?
I suspect so. I think I suspect they were pretty afraid to make Nebuchadnezzar mad. They like their homes. That's true. Any anybody else have any thoughts, questions? Oh, Jessica. Um, I'm just wondering, how can we tell today if we're being disciplined? That's a good question. Well, I think if you can follow along, here, here's here's an interesting thing. I think discipline tends to be, can be easily understood just under the like heading of suffering. So the places that there's adversity in your life, there is kind of a digging down in things. But I would say a better way of thinking about it is when you feel anxiety or fear, usually those surface events, let's think like you come here and you don't, and you're afraid to talk to somebody because there's something hard to talk to them about or you have your own self-conscious issues. That anxiety and fear is probably telling you that something deeper down in you needs to be dealt with and that God's actually going to discipline you in a way to deal with it. Um, and so that, that simple little event can lead you towards, hey, discipline might be coming. That, that's a good way of... Enduring in, in suffering is not necessarily discipline. No. That there are times where we suffer where we are not... Where we're not being disciplined. I agree. But yeah. Yes. Uh, my question was about enduring. If you feel like you're being disciplined and it says endure hardship as discipline, yes. how would you encourage us to endure and like submit ourselves to what God is doing. Well, it's, it's interesting to me that like you asked that question and then in Nebuchadnezzar's story, he doesn't say anything about it. It just, when that time passed, <laughs> when I was done being crazy, I looked up, <laughs> but, but there is a key to it. And that is when, when I discipline my children, especially when they're little, but even now I want them to look at me and I want it to be about me not them. Like, their world needs to now revolve around me and how they're going to live. Um, and I think that that is the, what God is inviting us to, is that so often we want it to be about whatever's happening here, and God's like, no, that's painful, but it's about us and our what's happening in between us. And I think um, the the beauty of us having the gospel, which which Daniel didn't have the benefit of, yes. is that it talks pretty clearly about Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, and the the sense that we're not alone. And even like I was thinking about with Anna and her, I'm going to disobey, I'm going to disobey, that, you know, I wasn't like hoping to discipline her, so I, you know, waited till she did the thing and then, you know, flicked her hand, I was, I would say, I, I would intervene and say, what you doing? <laughs> like, you know, and, and I wanted to be with her as she learned, like, how to, like, live well. Yeah. I like that, and, and the gospel is very key to all of this, and I think I've run out of time, so I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you very much for this community, for what you've done. Lord, I pray uh, for the rest of our time together that your Holy Spirit would be on us, that you give us courage to speak about the depths of our life, and that you would give us a joy about what you're doing. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen.